3: Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening this hour. We're going to be joined by Adam Bowler. He's the founder and CEO of Rubicon Founders and negotiated with the Taliban, along with Ambassador Khalazad. Get the truth behind the fact that uh, is this Trump's plan? Is this what Trump would have done if he was president? That's what President Biden says. Uh, we're also going to be dealing with um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann who is now retired but is now conducting and coordinating Task Force Pineapple, a group of retired Green Berets, Navy SEALs and diplomats, and reporters helping evacuate people from Afghanistan because the State Department isn't. Big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. The conservative majority did what was predicted, struck it down, said, yes, there's a financial loss to the landlords. The CDC does not have federal legal authorization to do this. Congress must do it.
3: Uh, that is the report. A Trump team win. Eviction moratorium which we know is unconstitutional. The president Biden said it was unconstitutional to continue it. It was just deemed by the Supreme Court unconstitutional. Also the remain in Mexico policy back in play. Two run two wins for Trump and us.
0: Number 2. He didn't listen when they had to go back in to evacuate our embassy after the collapse of Kabul and now he's tying the hands of our special forces who are chomping at the bit to go out into the city and outside of the city to get our Americans that are stranded. Their hands are being tied. Leaving
3: behind, that's what we're doing. How can America let 1,000 Americans plus behind? This is impeachable. It's up to Dems to stop their thick-headed, callous president before it's too late.
4: Number one.
5: Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks?
4: I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened. You know as well as I do. The former president made a deal with the Taliban that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1.
3: Deadly day, and the danger from over 13 dead servicemen in Kabul remains. All preventable deaths as Biden bungles and blames Trump's administration for the deal they did. Problem with that, he's not running the pat, uh, the, uh, the play the Trump team cut, or the deal the Trump team agreed to. Uh, with me right now, General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute and in Study of War, and Fox News senior strategic analyst. Uh, general, welcome back. Your reaction, if you wouldn't mind comparing the plans as you knew it, Trump didn't cut a great deal, but this is not the deal he cut, is it?
6: No. I mean, I I, I thought the uh, the Trump deal with the Taliban was very fundamentally misguided. I read the deal uh, Zal Khalilzad showed it to me, four pages. I told him what it was. It was a surrender to the Taliban. I said, you really believe the Taliban want a power share? I said, the only thing they want is two things. One, get the United States out and then take over. That is it. All the rest of this doesn't make any sense, what you're saying. They're not going to—they'll never, ever reject the al-Qaeda, and they certainly don't want a power share. And why would we force the Afghan government to give up 5,000 prisoners? uh, when many of those were the actually leaders of the organization. That that was also outrageous by the Trump administration. But here, here's something people don't realize. the uh, That deal, the Taliban would not attack the United States. The United States would not attack the Taliban. But the Taliban could attack the, the ANSF. And just about in most cases, they did not have air support to back them up because, as the, the general in charge told me, He said, so I'm only able to use my air power when we're involved in the attack, along with the the Afghans, if they attack us jointly. But most of the attacks are done, they're trying to take territory back so they can use it in the the negotiations, so they have more leverage to do the same thing the Russians did. But that, what people don't realize, that began to condition the Afghan security forces to what it's like not having air power and the advantage that that gives to the Taliban. And we saw what happened in 2021 after the president announced his withdrawal of 31 August. By the way, which is the absolute number one flaw in that decision, coming up at that arbitrary date, not giving and pulling our people out during the fighting season and not establishing any conditions. The thing I do support uh, with the Trump team is they did have a condition based withdrawal we don't know exactly what would have happened because obviously the president wasn't reelected but it, they did have that and i and i don't believe they would have uh, participated in this farcical thing that we've found ourselves in uh with the taliban taking over the country which was a condition i believe president trump would have prevented that that would never have taken place and and having an unconditional withdrawal during the fighting season, taking seven bases down. There was no way that our troops could provide any support to the Afghan security forces whatsoever. And we all saw result of resulted that. Um, so, yeah, there are there are fundamental dif- differences, to be sure. But that in my mind, the Trump deal put us on a pretty bad path to begin with.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, the president wanted out, but he was also coachable. You saw that with him leaving Syrian uh, troops there. He wanted to pull out of Afghanistan. He was told what would happen if we did that, and the Iranian advantage and in Syria, the Iran and Syrians would get the oil. So that that got his attention. Here's what President Biden pledged. Cut one to those who
4: carried out this attack, as well as anyone who wishes America harm. Know this: we will not forgive. We will not forget. We will hunt you down and make you pay.
3: How much harder is it for us to hunt them down as we pull out and abandon our Afghan allies?
6: Well, the fact that uh, we had the CIA bases there, principally to focus on terrorism, to focus on the Al Qaeda, to focus on ISIS, that's why they were there, and we pulled them out. so we, And we no longer have the Afghan security forces, <laughs> close to 300,000, to help us, you know, what is the enemy doing, where are they? And we no longer have the Afghan people talking to us about what's taking place in their village or in their town or in their neighborhood. So, yeah, we, we've lost our eyes and our ears. And that is going to be the hardest problem, is tracking uh, terrorism in Afghanistan. The al-Qaeda has already regained a safe haven that's a fact. And they're going to be able to operate in the open. And ISIS will be able to grow. And I think there's going to be other terrorist organizations that have come because of the, the iconic figure that the, the Taliban represented the Salafi jihadists now. I mean, they're the premier organization. The United States surrendered a country to them. They have their own nation state. That's never happened before. Uh, and so as a result of that, we're going to see terrorism in Afghanistan grow. Um, the 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 forever war, in my judgment, we didn't end it. We uh, regrettably have expanded it.
3: We have, but the the, the president won't acknowledge that. General McKenzie said this yesterday. No reason to think the Taliban let this attack happen, as he says. U.S. continues to coordinate with the militant group for our protection. Do you think the Taliban let it happen?
6: I don't know, but I I, I doubt if I would make a statement like that. I mean. I think we made a mistake in security, in my view, that we didn't push security out to the outer cordon, is what we would normally do. And we left that space to the Taliban because they wanted it. And we should have contested that and said, we're going to facilitate people through a series of checkpoints, security checkpoints, and also documentation checkpoints, before they ever get to the wall. The wall is the last place you want to do something like that. and. And either we're going to be there at those checkpoints with you, or we're going to run the checkpoint ourselves without you. Uh, but we're going to we're going to be out there uh, providing that outer security for security reasons and also for documentation check and to make certain that you know nobody's got a bomb with them. That should have been something uh, that we did right from the outset. And to say that the Taliban is not complicit, we don't know that. I mean, we know they're haphazard to be sure. And there's a lack of discipline and control over every single fighter. So uh, a couple of them may have not paid attention and been very effective. But I also think there's plenty of room for them being complicit because the Americans getting hurt uh, and being humiliated like that with almost over 100 people being killed uh, right outside an American security position is very humiliating for us in, in, in the world. And also it, it accomplishes something for them in terms of, again, showing the prominence of terrorists being able to impact the United States. So I, I wouldn't go that far and say that they're not complicit. We, I don't think we, we could make that claim. You could make a case easily that they, it's in their interest to facilitate the ISIS guys going in there with their bombs and letting them go in there and do the horrific thing that they did because it's in their interest as well.
3: So I know you've known of uh, Senator, then Vice President Biden for years. And this is Josh Rogan's Washington Post column. He did an interview with uh, with Biden when he was a candidate, 2019. It was right after Baghdad he was killed. I want you to listen to this. The death of Baghdaddy, according, uh, according to Biden, is proof and the wisdom of the strategy that without committing our troops to endless wars, you can still, in fact, protect our interests and the interests of our friends and allies. You need people on the ground. You need allies on the ground. He on, on to say there was a crucial difference between small counterterrorism forces and large troop deployments aimed at nation building. He was for, crucial, he was for that crucial difference of small counterterrorism forces. What happened in a year? I mean, what changed?
6: Yeah, it's amazing. I, most people believed that when if Biden won the election, he would retain the forces uh, in Afghanistan because he said as much uh, that you're probably going to have to keep the counterterrorism focus there. It's, it's kind of the way he would express it. Yeah, you know, he didn't know for sure what the number was, but he felt that that function had to be represented in in Afghanistan, which is essentially the position of our intelligence community and the position of our military community. But uh, I, I think it was an, an impulsive act, uh, thinking the politics are right on this. Uh, you know, come nine eleven, I'll be the I'll be the guy that got us out. The twentieth anniversary coming up. I'm sorry, uh, this September the eleventh. You know, I'll be the president that got us out of the forever war in Afghanistan, never thinking that it would turn into a debacle.
3: And it did. What makes you think our troops are any safer today? Have you heard anything about a security adjustment, or have they just basically shut down all the gates?
6: I don't know what they're doing. I I don't have an assessment, but uh, unless we're out there on the coroner at those checkpoints uh, and we have... That kind of a presence there providing us, you know, with the ability to make certain people do not have those vests on or not driving a vehicle in with a bomb because we're we're at that security checkpoint ourselves. And so we're not there. And we're, we're as vulnerable today as we were yesterday before the attack.
3: You said that you have some indications from the State Department that they're looking to do what with the Taliban?
6: Well, it's, it's, it's reprehensible that we're going to leave, and American citizens are going to be be left behind, and our Afghan partners by the tens of thousands are going to be left behind. And the way the administration has rationalized that in their mind, Brian, it's saying, well, the Taliban is going to work this uh, after we go, and probably maybe with the International Red Cross, I'm not sure, or some U.N. organization to help them. Some non-government organizations will participate, I'm I'm assuming. but we're, we're going to transfer that to our uh, to our Taliban partners who are going to do this. And people in the State Department believe then uh, as opposed to working against legitimizing the Taliban, which I think is should be the U.S. position. In other words, we don't want countries recognizing the Taliban government because it's a terrorist organization. It enabled 9/11. It killed over 2,400 Ameri- Americans. And thousands of uh, American soldiers and troops wounded, some of them catastrophically for life. Uh, that's what they've done, uh, just to America alone, not to speak of our allies. And we should not be recognizing that country and give them uh, that kind of legitimacy. In fact, well, our policy should be to discourage others from doing the same. But there's people in the State Department that think we should recognize the Taliban because we're going to work with them as an established government. I, I, I think we should designate them as a terrorist organization, period, isolate them from the world writ large, uh, call them out as an international pariah, which they, which they truly are, and limit limit what they do inside of Afghanistan because the international community is keeping their hands off of them. They want to be in the world banking system. They want money from the International Monetary Fund. They want money from China and Russia and Iran uh, in terms of doing trade deals and giving them access to mineral rights. Some of that we can't control. What China, Russia, and Iran do, we're not going to have all that much influence over But uh, what other countries do, people will listen to us. Uh, I would hope they would anyway, and yeah. certainly it makes no sense for the United States to enter into uh, legitimizing the, the Taliban government by making them a bona fide partner.
3: I just think next week we're going to talk, General, and our troops are going to be out, and our our, our citizens are still going to be in Afghanistan. Uh, the British left with their citizens, uh, with uh, some of their allies there. No indication on citizens, but the Canadians left some of their people behind. Uh, New Zealand pulled out and said some of their allies are behind. They're all angry. Just final thought.
6: Well, it is shameful. It is a betrayal. And it's an absolute stain on the national honor of the United States. Uh, And there's just no other way to express it but that, because that's truly what it is.
3: General Jack Keane, thanks so much. Appreciate
6: it. Okay. Take care, Brian.
3: Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. one 408 I'll get some calls in, then welcome in Adam Bola. What's the truth about the Trump plan? And then people working on their own to get people out, having staggering success. The inside story, you're not going to hear anyone else when Scott Mann joins us. Don't move.
2: It's Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for
7: Outkick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue collar work is something to be proud of.
4: A talk show that's real.
2: This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
4: These ISIS terrorists will not win. We will rescue the Americans. We will get our Afghan allies. And our mission will go on. America will not be intimidated. And I have the utmost confidence in our brave service members who continue to execute this mission with courage and honor to save lives and get Americans, our partners, our Afghan allies out of Afghanistan.
3: That was some of the speech that was, uh, of course, the president doesn't speak till 5 o'clock. The attacks happen at 9 in the morning. Uh, the, the soft press questions that we got were ridiculous outside the Fox question. And, I mean, I could not believe how compliant they were. Uh, The first one was aggressive from NBC. Peter Ducey had a great question. But in between that, we're getting nothing. And Jen Psaki gets a question, what was the president doing during the day? What were his thoughts? What were he thinking? Who was he talking to? Really? What would they have said to Trump? Do you have blood on your hands? Why did you kill those troops? Why would you ever trust the Taliban? I mean, but they would have been pointed with attitude. Instead, you get this compliant press. And I'm tired of hearing about President Biden's tragic stories. We all have them. Everybody listening right now has something that happened to them that's flat-out tragic. Kid, parent, whatever. This does not apply here. Beau Biden did not die in battle guarding an airfield. He served. That's it. He sadly had cancer. But that has nothing to do with the 18 servicemen that were left susceptible because of the horrible deal you cut And the 13 dead, a deal that you cut. Nothing to do with your family. At all. And don't tell me you feel my pain. Come up with a real strategy and stop the pain.
8: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
2: A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You said the buck stops
5: with you. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks?
4: I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened of late. But here's the deal. You know, I wish you'd one day say these things. You know as well as I do that a former president made a deal with the Taliban that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1.
3: That is President Biden pretending the buck stops with him, but blaming Trump, a man that overturned almost everything Trump did, uh, regardless of what that deal was and whether he's accurate, suddenly feels hamstrung by what Trump gave him. Adam Bowler joins us now. Uh, he went twice to Doha, negotiated with the Taliban, specifically with Mullah Baradar, who's essentially ahead of uh, the president of the Taliban-led Afghanistan right now. Uh, and Adam sat next to Ambassador Khalil Zadden doing it. Adam joins us right now. Adam, were you shocked to see the president point to your former boss?
9: Absolutely.
5: I mean, I think uh, <laughs> each president decides their own policies. As you said earlier, uh, the president has had no problem changing a direction on many many policies and so I think at the end of the day if you're gonna say the buck stops with you you take responsibility um, and in this case I think it's clear there was a botched execution the fact that we need to pull out eventually and not spend ten years is bipartisan uh, the issue here is the execution
3: so how would you have been done how would your deal have been done differently what, what would what would have changed
5: when you sit face to face with the Taliban there are two things that are apparent Number one, they're a regional militia, and they do have discipline, and they can do what they say they will. And, and that's been proven when they said they would stop attacking our our guys out there. They stopped the next day. Number two, they're a regional militia, which means that if you don't show strength in this region, you cannot hold them to a line because the region respects strength. And so the key on execution is the United States doing it on our terms. Um, and so it shouldn't be based on an artificial deadline. Uh, it should be based on a mission. And the mission here should be getting our guys out uh, and then getting uh, our allies out, the people that helped us. And if that happens by August 31st, that's great, but that's an arbitrary date that was set. So at the end of the day, there's no way that we would have allowed this to happen. We don't allow American, uh, the, you know, we are the strongest military in the world, Uh, We don't leave with our tail between our legs.
3: So if they started moving on Kabul, you would have moved? I I would have.
5: uh, If they started moving on Kabul, we stay our ground. We don't retreat to a civilian airport. We use a civilian airport. We don't leave our base. uh, And we open up real pathways. We use our might. And the Taliban will respect that. We're clear what our mission is to the Taliban. And then there's a question going forward of what we do. We can't have thousands of troops in Afghanistan. Should we have a counterterrorism force and intelligence outpost there? I'd argue we should have that there because the threat is not going away. And obviously, it's not just Taliban. It's it's obviously ISIS-K. It's obviously Al-Qaeda. And then we have a broader international threat, too, moving into our void are China and Russia. Uh, And so you've got to think kind of short-term, medium-term, and long-term about the strategic interests of the United States. Our immediate interests are our people. uh, And you secure that by any means necessary. And when we say that, we're the United States. We have the ability to do that.
3: So Mullah Bardar was in prison. You guys got him out, correct? Yes. Was that a mistake?
5: No, I think that the the Taliban and— The the Taliban situation here, they respond and they are disciplined if they're strength. So I think the mistake is retreating like this. The mistake isn't leaving our people there.
3: One of the quotes from President Trump was uh, that he would, uh, if they go back on their word on any element, he would make bad things happen for them. So one of the things they were supposed to do was negotiate a coalition government with Ghani who's as corrupt as the day, day is long, and he's gotten away evidently with billions of our do- millions of our dollars. He just disappeared. So that was a violation, correct? They moved and took Kabul instead of negotiating to be part of a government.
5: It was an absolute violation. We would not be in this situation because they needed to follow the rules, and you need to keep them to the rules. And one thing I will tell you, I think one of the best foreign policy moves of the prior administration was killing Soleimani. And the reason that was really important is we called a bluff. Iran makes lots of bad noises and really scary noises. At the end of the day, we took out their number two person. Imagine if they had taken out our number two person. Uh, And what did they do? That's because they're bluffing uh, and they don't have the strength of the American government. And so the region saw that. When you play with strength, then you, you reach peace, right? It's when you show weakness in this region that it leads to things like this, like what we saw yesterday, where we have fallen heroes now. Uh, So you've got to play your cards from a position of strength in this region. It's what they understand, and that's how you reach peace, and that's the path we were going down. So peace, in theory, is not a bad idea, but how you approach it, is really critical. This is not negotiating with France. We don't have Macron over there where we're having lots of diplomatic negotiations and you know, Lake Geneva in a beautiful location. These guys are serious guys. They're military guys. Um, and you, you play your hands with strength. They're an army uh, and respect that as such and play, play, your, play your hands as
3: such. Adam Bowler, who helped negotiate the deal with the Taliban from the Trump years, wanted to, to keep doing it, but they lost the election. Adam, would you ever have counted, do you think President Trump, or you would have recommended President Trump, we do the deal where the Taliban provide our security as our civilians leave?
5: I absolutely know that President Trump would not be in this situation. That's not how he thinks. I was in the Oval with him all the time. Uh, there is no way that we would be in a situation of weakness like this. That's not how the president rolls.
3: Do you believe it was a mistake not to give air cover to the Afghan army as part of the deal they don't attack you, but you don't provide air cover for them? Was that part of your your four-page deal?
5: When you look at the deal, it was a tit-for-tat. And the key element of the deal was, number one, we don't want attacks on Americans. Number two, we've got to reach a peace plan between Afghanistan and the Taliban. It needs to be a government that is based on a a full representation of peace plan. So if we didn't reach that, we would not be in this situation. So that was part of the deal.
3: You, they, you got 1,000. The Afghan army got 1,000 prisoners out. You gave up 5,000 Taliban prisoners. Was, was that an even swap? Doesn't seem it.
5: Number to number is, is a different story. The key is, are you moving in a path where, where there's an end to this? Um, and so let me tell you, I mean, uh, 5,000, 1,000, I think about our servicemen that were being killed every day. So how many people did we save? by doing that deal of our own folks, uh, of our own troops. Uh, so we, we saved a lot of lives by doing that in a prisoner swap. But the the question is, where did it go? Uh, and so this this didn't have to be like this.
3: Here's what the president said yesterday, cut 25.
9: And if you look back at a timeline, We held them totally steady, but I wanted to get out, but we had to get out with dignity. We had to take our $80 billion worth of equipment. We had to do all of the things that you know we had to do. And then I would have blown up all the air bases, but I would have kept Bagram, because Bagram's located right next to China, right near China and Iran, and it's in Afghanistan. So we had the whole group covered. They spent $10 billion building it, and we handed out the keys— It's the craziest thing I've ever seen.
3: Final thought, Adam?
5: My final thought is it's bipartisan to not be in Afghanistan with all of our troops in 20 years, but we've got to do it in a strategic way. And I think the president is right in what he's saying, which is you already see the meetings happening between the Taliban and China and the Taliban and Russia. Uh, And so we cannot leave a void here. If we leave a void, it's going to have repercussions for years and years to come.
3: I agree. Uh, Thanks so much. Adam Bowler, inside the story, because they were trying to sully the Trump team yesterday. Adam was there looking across at the now Taliban leader who lives in the palace in Afghanistan. Adam, thank you.
5: Thank you, Brian.
3: Meanwhile, we got about 5,000 people, excuse me, between 1 and 5,000 Americans still in country. Many have gotten out because of my next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann. Retired Green Beret, Navy SEALs, diplomats and reporters, all coordinating a task force called Pineapple. That story and their heroics and what remains to be done next.
2: You're with Brian
8: Kilmeade.
10: This is feckless retreat on the international stage. It is worse than Saigon. The only good news out of this is as a friend of mine, on a wise sage on foreign policy, told me the other day, he said, just remember, 14 years after the fall of Saigon. We had the fall of Soviet communism. All it took was the right leadership following the right policies in the form of Ronald Reagan and peace through strength, and we were able to achieve that enormous victory. So this is not the end, but it will deeply stain our administration, our, our country. It deeply uh, reflects badly on this administration, but, but it points out the necessity of us to begin to articulate what are the right policies and what is the right path for America to face in this dangerous world.
3: Right, and that is uh, a clearly upset Karl Rove. And remember, he was in some dark days in Iraq. Invasion was brilliant. The occupation wasn't. We had to rotate out. People wanted us to bug out. Instead, the President Bush did the unpopular thing. He went with General Jack Keene and David Petraeus and John McCain and said, we got something here. They don't want us to leave. They do want to get rid of uh, the insurgency, Al Qaeda in Iraq. And we formed the, uh, the surge and the surge worked turned it over to Barack Obama and he threw it in the street we had to go back the result was ISIS and ISIS K was yesterday we have the another member of the Trump uh, the Obama administration Susan Rice behind the scenes and they you get this bungled effort to get out of Afghanistan the worst possible scenario and i don't care about uh, Joe Biden's legacy it's our legacy this is america I mean, this is all, this reflects on everybody, especially, it's not because we hollowed out our force. We got this great experience fighting force can do the most, the hardest war fighting. We do urban fighting. Everyone said, you want to stay away from that. Our guys accelerated at that. They were fantastic. Meanwhile, the DOD has confirmed uh, this, uh, this was the deadliest day for U.S. troops since 2011. Uh, That was when we uh, lost a whole bunch with the special operations hit. Ten Marines, two soldiers, one Navy corpsman, 17 were hurt. I think the number's now 18. Ninety-five Afghans were killed. If you've seen the video, there's just bodies absolutely everywhere. It seems a suicide bomber got in the middle. Blew himself up. Barron Hotel was the other place. It was like a fortress. Well, we got 169 people a couple of days prior. That's problematic. But then you have Joe Biden, who bears responsibility in words, but not in actions. He says, we got to leave. I'm the one to leave. Everyone's talking about it. The the American people want it, but not at this cost. 20% believe we're leaving in the right way. 20%. And Joe Biden didn't make anybody feel any better, And I'm worried right now. I don't want to be have this show interrupted again for what I think is going to be another attack because we're just as vulnerable. Or we've shut down all uh, access to the airport, which makes our guys safe, but it makes it impossible for anybody else to get out. We got about a thousand left. A thousand people. Cut 14.
4: We have some sense, like many of you do, what the families of these brave heroes are feeling today get this feeling like you're being sucked into a black hole in the middle of your chest. There's no way out. My heart aches for you, but I know this. We have a continuing obligation, a sacred obligation to all of you, the families of those heroes. That obligation is not temporary. It lasts
3: forever. That's fine. Your policies put them in the line of fire, ultimately cost them their lives. And now you want to bring up your son and his tragic passing, which by all accounts, I met him a couple of times. Bo Bo, uh, Biden was a great guy. But it has nothing to do with putting Marines in the uh, Marine security in the hands of the Taliban. We'll look back on this, and no one will make sense of it. They're going to think it's a misprint, or they're going to think it's a a politically positioned paper. They're not going to believe that this is actually the policy. Medal of Honor recipient Eddie Byers weighed in last night with Laura. Cut 20.
0: What I know for a fact is that if given the ability to go do the job that we know how to do, we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. We would have been over with this war a long time ago. But the military has always been hum- hamstrung by politicians. And that,
3: once again, it's happening. And politicians have stopped the evacuation of thousands. Scott Mann has not let that stop him. Scott has uh, helped formulate Operation Pineapple. It's a task force uh, consisting of diplomats, SEALs, Green Berets, reporters, believe it or not. Uh, they formed a group and they're making a huge difference. Uh, Scott Mann, welcome.
7: Hey, Brian, what's going on? It's been a long time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Scott, what have you and your and your uh, cohorts been working on?
7: Oh, we're, we're just working on uh, filling the gap that our government has decided, you know, not to provide, which is, uh, you know, getting uh, American citizens for the most part and uh, and certainly Afghans who worked with us in duress out of out of harm's way and out of that country. And so we've been using it's mostly Green Berets some SEALs. Uh, some civilian diplomats all retired, just put our businesses on hold. And for 10 days, we've been working our relationships, tradecraft and wit uh, across various task forces like Pineapple to to get these folks uh, through underground railroads into the airport uh, and also uh, on overland exfil routes that, um, you know, can can get them to safety. And it's uh, it's been it's been quite a quite an effort um, that is like a Jason Bourne movie every 10 minutes playing out.
3: So, I mean, you spent 23 years as Army Special Forces career, foreign in, uh, internal defense, counterinsurgency, stability missions, got a master's degree in operations. So, Scott, are you – I don't want you to tell me exactly where you are, but are you operating from a Middle East country? And in terms of numbers, how many people have you got now, roughly?
7: Well, you know, we're operating all over the place. I'm operating from, from the U.S. And here's the crazy part, Brian, is that most of the people that are driving this right now are are business owners – we have jobs. I mean, we've been retired for a while. And when we saw what was happening where you know it started with, for us with a friend who was an Afghan commando who was hiding in his uncle's house like Anne Frank, and, and the State Department wasn't processing his visa, so we just started working phones on an on a, on a, on a encrypted signal app um, on our phones, and, and we started building a network that, that ultimately got him and his family across the wire, and now they're, they're safely in a third country. Um, so it's that's been the whole process all along. And, and we have some people in country. Uh, we have some unofficial heroes uh, inside the airport who are going against this insane policy of, you know, of, of some kind of passive non-combatant evacuation um, and, and helping us. But we, you know, we got in two days ago. We got in over 500 Afghans. Through uh, sewage canals and other holes in the wire, using an underground railroad.
3: So, do you, has the airport virtually shut down, and how many Americans are out there?
7: The airport is the airport is shut down. I mean, there are, and, and let me tell you something. I cannot say enough about our American warriors, our, our expeditionary diplomats, who are on the ground in the airport right now, enduring complex attack in full form. So, everybody thought that ISIS was gone. That's not right. There are they are you know throwing everything they got at them. The problem is they don't have the authority. They don't have the authority to do what needs to be done. And that's where I think people should be calling their congressmen. Absolutely. They should be making the phones
8: ring. We should Colonel, not be sent. Look, my son is I, in the military.
3: Wow. I, thanks so much for what you're doing. We'll catch up with you Monday.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to
2: foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
3: Hi everybody, it's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the war- world. Uh, you know, the number one story in the in the world right now, I believe, on most in most kitchen tables, and certainly in most state departments, is what's happening in Afghanistan. America's remarkably inept pullout, and the death and destruction that rained down yesterday: ninety five Afghans dead, thirteen Americans dead, uh, ten of which were Marines. Uh, One, a uh, Navy medic and two Army officers. Um, And I would add this. We also have a situation where there's a fear now of another attack. And keep in mind, the airport is basically closed. And we have uh, thousands still in country. And we just talked to a lot of people working beyond the State Department, around the State Department to get people out because our government has fallen remarkably short. Big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
1: Number three. The conservative majority did what was predicted, struck it down, said, yes, there's a financial loss to the landlords. The CDC does not have federal legal authorization to do this. Congress must do it.
3: There you go. Uh, Another win for the Trump team. Eviction moratorium revoked two days ago. Remain in Mexico reinstated. Next stop, rebuilding the wall.
1: Number two.
0: He didn't listen when they had to go back in to evacuate our embassy after the collapse of Kabul. And now he's tying the hands of our special forces who are chomping at the bit to go out into the city and outside of the city to get our Americans that are stranded, their hands are being tied.
3: Leaving behind, that's what we're doing. How can America let 1,000 Americans plus behind? Impeachable, it's up to Dems to stop their thick-headed callous president once and for all, because many agree that we should not be leaving now.
4: Number one.
5: Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks?
4: I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened. You know as well as I do, the former president, made a deal with the Taliban that he would get all American forces out of Afghanistan by May 1.
3: Deadly day and danger with the servicemen dead in Kabul, all preventable deaths as Biden bungles and blames Trump administration for the deal they did. The problem with that, he is not running the pact that the Trump team cut, not by a wide margin. Uh, Let's welcome in Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, there was a story in the Washington Post today that outlines the Trump deal, and we've talked to officials that sat with Ambassador Kalazad, Trump officials, and now the head of the Taliban. While I don't think we should have been talking to the Taliban, and I don't love the four-page deal, Trump never licensed the Taliban to, to do security. And he said he never would have given up Bagram Air Base, and he certainly would have been wouldn't have been stuck in Kabul as the Taliban overrun the army i don't think his ego would have led him i think you agree with that
11: well you know i you, you don't know you don't know i i would hope that president trump were he the president had he been reelected uh, would have you know more carefully negotiated the fine print of that uh, historic agreement to end the never ending war I I would hope he had the details and would be better than Joe Biden. It wouldn't take much. Joe Biden, this has been a colossal failure that will mar his presidency. I mean, people calling for him to resign are are silly, uh, but uh, maybe well intentioned, but unrealistic. I think more to the point is we are watching unnecessary pain and suffering because of what is, and President Trump's right about that, uh, the most ill advised and poorly executed uh, evacuation in history. We knew this was coming. Uh, why, you know, Bagram Airways is a place I spent a lot of time. Why they gave it up in favor of Kabul Airport, which is a chaotic mess in the best of times. I'll never know, Brian.
3: Never know. And it it is almost as if they we know for sure the story last week between you and I was how did they not know this Afghan army was going to collapse? The other story is what would you have done to stop it? And if there was pretty clear that uh, when you compare the two, and I'd rather not compare Trump and Biden, but he keeps doing it. So I just talked to Adam Bowler, who negotiated with the Taliban, with Khalil Azad four separate times. And they said, any violation, and we'll hit you. And Pompeo has verified this. There were violations along the way, and to convince them along the way, that they went ahead and hit him when they made violations. And they knew it. And they knew they had to be strong. So in the meantime, I want you to hear from President Trump, who spoke— to Sean last night, I don't know if you had a chance to hear it. No, I did. And in here's uh, here's a little of of what he said about what he witnessed from uh, from what he's seen so far. Not only did he call it one of the biggest uh, biggest mistakes ever, uh, he can't believe how embarrassing it is to the country. Twenty four.
9: Well, it's so sad. It's probably from the standpoint of military tactics and and just uh, embarrassment the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to our country. We look like fools all over the world. We're weak. We're pathetic. We're being led by people that have no idea what they're doing. They take the military out, and then they say, now we'll bring out the people. And all of a sudden, the Taliban walks in. We had the Taliban so under control, they wouldn't have moved without— getting our approval. We had an incredible agreement. They weren't killing our soldiers, you know that, and it was part of it. In fact, Biden actually said that today. He said they weren't killing them because of the agreement that we had, that we did, and they hadn't killed one of our soldiers in uh, many, many, many months, and they weren't going to because they were afraid to.
3: So, I mean, he is, uh, I listen, he wanted to get out, but how he got out is the big difference. Now, today, the airport might as well—we might as well just pull out now because the airport's closed. You can't get there. We're not even accepting Americans in there. Ronaldo, what happens next
11: week? I hey, know, I wish I knew, Brian. I, I would assume that what is happening right now—the well, day will soon be over—but what is happening is intense negotiations between the Taliban and the United States about strengthening the perimeter, broadening the perimeter— uh, getting those civilians further away from uh, the airport, making the uh, making the process of, of attaining the airport, bringing it under control in, a, in as secure a way as possible. Uh, but there's no doubt that it's uh, it's winding down. Uh, because we have to get the military there on planes by next Tuesday also. So there's going to be, there's no doubt about it, there's going to be Americans and friends of America stranded. I just thank God that I, I got, uh, we got, uh, Fox got uh, Akbar, my trusted translator, out of my friend. He's, Uh, You know, he's in gutter right now. I'm so glad. I was so worried about him and his family uh, because he worked with us from day one, uh, Brian. Uh, But I I think that what's happening with with this process now is – It will be whatever it is between now and Tuesday, depending on if I think if the Taliban is putting pressure on ISIS right now, there may not be another attack, not one that causes such mass mass casualties. But this is a Biden will bear the burden of screwing this up. I I think that uh, obviously that will eliminate any chance that he'll be uh, you know he'll run for re-election. He, I think it'll also cost the Democrats dearly uh, because it demonstrates uh, in the midterms because it demonstrates an incompetence uh, a, a naivete that uh, it, that has proven in this case deadly to uh, 13 of our GIs and you know so many other innocent uh, innocent Afghan. I, I, I just—it's the worst thing that could have happened. I feel sick about it. Uh, yesterday was a terrible, terrible day. I, I mentioned on the on the Fox and Friends this morning that it reminded me very much of how I felt the day after the Marine barracks was blown up in Beirut in 1983, and I was sent to cover uh, that horror. Uh, it, it, you know, it, when you see our GIs dead and they're there. Uh, not, not so much for war fighting; they're there to help people, as a humanitarian mission. And then they get killed. And you think about those kids—they're just kids uh, losing their lives in the last day of a 20-year war. It's so cruel. It's uh, very, very painful. Brian,
3: absolutely. Here's what Michael Walt said: He is not giving up hope. He's trying to talk to d- other Democrats to get some influence with the president to stop this before it's too late. Cut 38.
0: We were just briefed by the military yesterday on the Armed Services Committee that when we went back in uh, to evacuate the embassy, they were once again presented Joe Biden uh, with the option of taking Bagram. Uh, And he once again didn't choose to do so. So on the one hand, he didn't listen about shutting it down too fast. By the way, 5,000 hardened ISIS, al-Qaeda and Taliban prisoners are now on the loose. And then he didn't listen when they had to go back in to evacuate our embassy after the after the collapse of Kabul, and now he's tying the hands of our special forces, who are chomping at the bit to go out into the city and outside of the city to get our Americans that are stranded. He won't let them do that either. Uh, their their hands are being tied. That's only going to
3: add to your frustration. We got these great guys that know how to uh, work in an urban environment and have 20 years of experience working in Afghanistan with and going through the Taliban, and he won't let them save Americans.
11: Well, I I don't know if, uh, you know, that could also be wishful thinking. What do you mean? In, in, In the sense that we now have no military bases outside the Kabul airport. All of our CIA people have been taken out. All of our intel people have been either moved to the airport or taken out of the country. We have no eyes and ears in Afghanistan now that are remotely capable of hunting down ISIS. What's ISIS? ISIS, a couple of hundred guys scattered in safe houses throughout Afghanistan. Well, the special forces are great, uh, but they need a target. They need intelligence, and that doesn't exist anymore. That's gone with the incompetent closure of our long mission there. I say, and this is the only – I want people to listen to me, and I know they get mad at me, but I, I, I think that right now the Taliban is broke. They are desperate for outside help, recognition. They don't have a dime to pay any civil servant, no one to pick up the garbage, keep the lights on, the water running. The Taliban needs international recognition. Let the Taliban prove their bona fides by the Taliban going out and bringing the ISIS people. They know a lot better than we do who perpetrated this atrocity. Let the Taliban be responsible for at least tipping us off that they're in uh, this house or that house or it's Joey uh, Abdullah and this guy. And, uh, you know, I I think that we, we make them prove that they that they want to be civilized. Let them prove that they understand uh, justice. That, that they they were, there were 28 Taliban I heard were killed in the in the bombing among the uh, civilians there. You know they have their own beef now against the ISIS. Let them let them. We're done with Afghanistan. Let the Taliban prove that the, the ISIS is the. The ones that threaten internationally uh, right. to hit the homeland. Let the Taliban now be the policemen. You know, before we took over in two thousand and one, the year before that, we gave the Taliban fifty million dollars as a prize for them cracking down on the opium, the poppy growers, before they got into the poppy growing business to fund their uh, their revolution against us, their uh, you know their guerrilla war against us. The the, the, the Taliban. You know, let the Taliban prove that they mean to be civilized and not yeah. savage brutes.
3: Not, not a chance. Uh, it, it, there's, not a chance heck, there's not a chance in heck. Not a chance. So just to give you an idea of what can be effective, this task force, Pineapple, consisting of uh, special forces guys, uh, they said actually reporters are helping too, American citizens, Afghan nationals. They are uh, able to put together, uh, put together, I'll tell you exactly who it is. It is uh, a mix of Navy SEALs, retired Green Berets, diplomats, and reporters called uh, Task Force Pineapple. They've already gotten 1,000 people out over the last seven days. They're able to navigate getting people over the border through and to the uh, Kabul airport. Uh, That's because they just took things into their own hands went around the State Department. Can you imagine if we put active Navy SEALs to work these these projects to get people out of neighborhoods in Kabul? And to me— that's what they do for a living. They save Americans. They save America. How can you tell them not to do that? I mean, you, know, you don't Brian, leave one right. behind.
11: If you spend any time in a place like Kabul, an American sticks out like a sore thumb. But they I did mean,
3: it. So, but they're doing
11: it, it. What's happening, as I understand it, is that the— Military command in Kabul airport is sending choppers to pre-designated locations where people who are in hiding run out, jump in the chopper, the chopper goes back to the airport. That's what I think is happening. But these are are details. And I, I know how crucial the mission is to get Americans out. But I also caution that just because we don't get everyone out by August Thirty-first doesn't mean that we're not going to continue putting pressure on the Taliban to let our people go. But Uh, Haraldo, they're
3: hostages. That we're going to—you don't kind of have to pay off. We're going to have maybe this talk in the State Department of recognizing the the Taliban government.
11: Look at the payoff we've done. Look at the way we have been robbed by these people. Look at the way they, they hear the Afghani, the president, leaving reportedly with four carloads of cash. Uh, they don't have a dime in the bank. Where'd all that money go? Where'd all these billions go over 20 years? Yeah, but that's not the
3: issue. That That's not the issue. The issue is we're leaving leverage. Once we leave, we lost all leverage.
11: Once we Once we left in the way... President Biden will forever be branded in this, uh, this ass-backwards, upside-down, uh, you know, uh, your third grader, as President Trump suggested. Your third grader could come up with a better plan than the one that Biden used to get the military out and then try to deal with the civilians. It's preposterous. We've, we've paid the price for it. We've paid an awful, awful day that we'll remember forever. Uh, I didn't realize that two of the dead were uh, were army uh, until you mentioned it. Uh, yep. That is, uh, that, you know, so it's a, thanks a lot, uh, Geraldo.
3: I'm up against a hard break. Geraldo Rivera, oh, but, thanks so much, yeah. author of the all Geraldo right, thanks, Show. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Then Dr. Drew Pinsky, don't move.
2: Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade.
10: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Do you? Still, trust the Taliban, and is it
7: possible that they let this happen? So as to whether or not they let it happen, I don't know. I don't think there's anything to, anything to convince me that they let it happen. As to whether or not I trust them, that's a, a not necessarily a, that's a word I use very carefully.
3: Uh, uh, that was uh, the general, the commanding general, trying to explain uh, the bombing that took place yesterday. It could have been worse, but for Afghans, 95 dead for America. We lost 13 with 18 struggling for their lives, uh, seriously wounded. Chris, who served, in, uh, uh, who served in Afghanistan, Chris, what do you think about the, what's taken place and our de- exit uh, due in four days?
12: Uh, well, we've heard a
13: lot about or a lot from people in the Trump administration about how this drawdown was supposed to happen. And I can just vouch for that. I was in Afghanistan from November of 19 to July of 20. And in April, I was told, "Hey, you're going home early. You're part of the drawdown that's going to happen." Well, April came and went, and in May they said, "You're staying." It's the spring fighting season, and the Taliban's not cooperating. So everything that uh, Trump's administration says is true. This was never it
3: was never conditions based. It,
13: could, it couldn't be undone.
3: Conditions based, Chris, right?
13: Absolutely, absolutely conditions based, and. uh Yeah, it's just a disgrace to see what's happening now that lives are being lost because, you know, the liberals feel that America needs to uphold agreements even though the other side doesn't do it. Like the Iran deal, like this right now, and for some reason we abide by our end even though, you know, the radicals don't.
3: I hear you. Thanks so much. we come back, we take a little break from this and talk about what's happening with the pandemic, going back to school, and so much more with Dr. Trubinsky. A lot of people are traumatized by what's happening and fighting it out because of that you will be with us.
8: It's the Hammer Time podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
7: Do you want people calling the police on their neighbors, not emergency lines or 911?
1: Look, this is no different than what happens if there's a party down the street and it's keeping everyone awake. What do neighbors do? They call law enforcement because it's too noisy. That could be a yes. Yes, yes.
3: Call law enforcement because your neighbors aren't wearing masks or they're not distancing. That's what's happened in this country over the last year and a half. People have gone absolutely insane, especially in places with Democratic governors. No coincidence. Like, for example, California, uh, Illinois, and in sa- insane places like Oregon. Nuts. Like what's happening in Seattle on a daily basis, uh, what we see, and what's happening in Portland on a regular basis. That's just part of the discombobulation of our society. Dr. Drupinski makes a living by trying to make sense out of the absurd, Uh, This is a real challenge. He's a board-certified internist, addiction medicine specialist, host of the Drew Prinsky podcast, co-host of the Adam and Dr. Drew show. and He's got an upcoming book. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be Awkward, Dealing with Relationships, Consent, and Hard to Talk About Stuff. So I want to put the war on hold for a second, Dr. Drew. Welcome back.
14: Brian, it's a pleasure to be here, but I've never heard my career quite expressed in that, in that way. But I guess that's (laughs) what I do.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I need somebody to make sense of what's happening in this world. And we've been talking about the war and Joe Biden's absurd logic to getting out of it, where we do this thing as a superpower, essentially surrender our pride and dignity and give a inferior force a victory, but that's for another time or maybe later for now. Can we talk about mask mania? How do we get sure. so separate and, and, and on this, and, before, and do they work and, first?
14: And before we get into the math thing, I got to tell you, I, I had uh, dinner last night with a friend of mine who's a Ar- Army Ranger, former Army Ranger, and seeing the debacle through his eyes was so deeply troubling. I'm, I'm I'm really heartbroken about this whole thing, and seeing it from someone who went to West Point and who knows how to do their their job and who was there doing it for many years. It didn't have to go this way. Don't let anybody tell you it did. It didn't have to go like this, but but that is for another time.
3: No, you From know what? Mass- no, you know what? Uh, I'm going to stick with your topic. Uh, I, I'm going to stick with that because there are so many people that work in our building that I've seen face-to-face. Johnny Jones lost both his legs in Afghanistan in particular. He was just on the couch with us on Fox & Friends. We've already dealt with the suicide issue when it comes to these the war on terror uh, and those fighting the war on terror. What do you say to them now when they look around at each other and say, really? I'm missing an arm, I'm missing a leg, but I have invisible wounds. Was it worth it?
14: Yeah, that's what they're all saying, and and I just commiserate with them. And what's even more disturbing to my friend is that what he sees is that they're sending in Marines who are not trained to do the job they're doing, as witnessed the fact that 12 of them were huddled together as a perfect target for a suicide bomber, he said, properly trained, they never would have done that. And, by the way, trying to secure an air- airport that's surrounded by hills is a, a fool's errand. Uh, he, he feels we should send real uh, operatives in there to do the job they're trained to do and can't understand why that's not happening. Again, this is way outside of my area. I'm just telling you what a friend of mine who does know what he's talking about uh, made me feel last night.
3: Well, one thing, Dr. Drew, about the American character, one thing I always found amazing about the men and women that fight is that even if, you, if there's a body behind enemy lines, they will sacrifice theirs to get back the remains. Yeah. My goodness, yeah. we just swapped remains from the Korean War with Kim Jong-un two and a half years ago. That was part of a deal. That's what it means to Americans. Now we're willing to let a thousand Americans stay in country because we're in a rush to get out? Wrap your head around that for a second.
14: I I know, and and I find myself reading about some of the great thinkers around the Civil War era and just praying for somebody like that to emerge and make sense of things, as you're saying, Brian, you know, for a a Grant or a Lincoln or, you know, uh, Frederick Douglass. I mean, where are they? We need them right now. And uh, the, the extraordinary thing, boy, I didn't expect you to get me to talk about this, but I have faith, you know I, I am trying to make sense of things and I am trying to make people feel better. And one of the things I look at is how brilliant our Constitution is. and yes, it had some profound flaws we've had to correct. we've paid it, continue to pay a terrible price for those those ridiculous uh, adjustments, those ridiculous uh, sort of um, half measures that I don't know what to call them. They, they just made a huge mistake. and but the actual document are so flexible and so brilliant, and so able to absorb all of this that I really have faith we're going to get through this. And by the way, if you're super unhappy with the Constitution, there are 50 different constitutions you can live under in this state. And uh, they're all quite different. And they, we're seeing more of that these days going from state to state. Uh, I'm watching my millennial children you know, invest in luggage. That seems to be one of the greatest investments you could make today.
3: Yeah, I mean, people are—and it's a little bit separating the country, so to speak. I can't tell you how many people in New York just picked up and left for Florida. And how many people in California seem to have gone to Texas. And how many people in Illinois are now having less congressmen and women because uh, they're going to those two states I mentioned in particular or going down south to North Carolina because they go, you know what? I don't like what's happening around me. I, You know, your state in particular can't get it straight. Uh, They're recalling their governor again. Even if even if even if Governor Newsom does get recalled, the fact that he had sixty two percent approval will now have to hold on for his life says a lot. You
14: can't imagine what life is like in California. You really don't I'm out in New York right now and I'm telling you, you don't get how bad it is. And that's why he's in trouble, because the, the you need only walk out of your house to to see how things are deteriorating and for him to continue to fiddle while Rome burns it's so astonishing. That the average person just can't abide by it any longer, and so they've had it. And I do think I, I'll be surprised if he's not recalled. It, it's only through funny business, if not, because you talk. It doesn't matter on what partisan, what side of the partisan divide you you are. He, he, everyone in California knows how horrible life is there, and how how disgusting things have gotten. And you know, disgust is a very powerful emotion. It, it makes people change. It makes people move. And disgust is something. I express on a regular basis, and I hear from other people constantly.
3: And it brings me to the topic, and the lockdown has a lot to do with it, the obscene lockdown that you guys experienced, the hypocrisy. Well, let's, let's, he was doing that. that, and let's get into yeah, that. Yeah,
14: let's get, let's get to that because that dovetails into the mass thing, which, which is that, that I, <laughs> there was so much incompetence on the part of the public health officials in Los Angeles and the government and the mayor and the governor. The incompetence was – I, I want to sort of – Give you the the poster for the incompetence, which was that they a closed our beaches and parks, the the exact environment where they should have in, been encouraging the population to go out of doors, breeze, fresh air, exercise, go to the beach. They closed the beaches down, but this was the this was the sign of the incompetence that was well, I'll never forget. When they opened them for weeks, you were allowed to stand on the beach but you couldn't lie down a towel. If you laid down at the beach, you would be arrested or taken off the beach for putting down a towel on the beach. He knew that was not a means by which this disease could be transmitted, and that was the depths of the incompetence that was on display. In California,
3: and now you have, uh, you know, we know about this in our audience, especially, you know, first off, don't wear a mask; they don't work to give you a false sense of confidence. Then you better wear a mask; you're an evil person. Better wipe down all your surfaces. Now we find out the surfaces not where it transferred. We'll have a mask until we get this vaccine. Well, it turns out we get the vaccine even before that. They said you can't really spread it outside, so you should not be wearing a mask. And then the governor of Oregon comes out and says, "I want a mask on everybody at all times." And in Florida, they say, I don't want my kids a mask. I want parents to make a decision. And he's looked at as evil. So there's so much going on. First off, there was just a study done that a mask only makes you 10% safer. And there's a psychological sacrifice you make by wearing a mask, especially if you're a third grader or a fifth grader or an 11th grader.
14: Correct. There are risk rewards for all of these interventions, these so-called mitigation efforts, and none of that has been taken into account and it has been executed by people who don't know how to make medical risk reward analyses it's it's a clinicians need to make those decisions not bureaucrats the extraordinary thing about this pandemic for me is that my profession froze in place they were so fearful of getting some sort of attack in the social media or being something i didn't realize there were so many of them were employees being judged by their employer They froze in place and ceded their responsibility to bureaucrats. Do you think, Brian, before this pandemic, the FDA, the NIH, the NIMH, the CDC ever had anything to do with the decision-making in my relationship with a patient, that they were involved in that decision-making? They put publications out. I'd read them, and they had advice. They were not involved in our decision-making. We ceded our responsibility entirely to bureaucrats during this pandemic, and they are not clinicians, they don't do risk-reward analysis, they can't change direction, they're rigid, and they are simplistic in how they apply their policies. That's not the way medicine is practiced. This has been astonishing to me that my profession did this. It's just been extraordinary. And we can we're only beginning to sort of inch back into our job, which is crazy. As far as masks go and their efficacy, yeah, the best studies show them about ten to twenty percent effective. Now that's not zero, and I would urge everybody to not run to one side of the boat or the other as different information comes in. Try to take a, try to take a moderate, balanced approach. Like, okay, wear some masks. Okay, all right, we're in certain situations. If I'm in an elevator, to high risk thing, and I've done all right. You want to do that? Good. Keep doing that. And, yes, vaccines, But they're not perfect, and vaccines have risk, yeah, but all things being equal, I recommend it. I took it. My family takes it. I've got a vaccine passport, but I'm very worried that people who are not getting the vaccine are now an outgroup, and they don't have their papers. It's really kind of extraordinary.
3: I want you to hear what the president said the other day. Cut 41. Today I'm calling on more
4: country, more companies, I should say, in the private sector to step up with vaccine requirements That'll reach millions more people. If you're a business leader,
3: so he he wants more countries. Excuse me, companies. They, they're very similar. Uh, to so he's calling on private companies to mandate vaccines. I'm just not. I'm not saying about vaccines. I got vaccinated, but I'm not a doctor, and I'm not telling people to go get vaccinated. I will tell mm-hmm. people to do your research. I'm lucky to talk to like so many doctors. My own doctor. I got doctors in this building nonstop. I'm able to text them, get answers, and I'm saying, yeah, I have no problem with it. But people don't want to be forced to do stuff, and now the president's man telling companies to mandate it. Are you comfortable yeah. with this?
11: Well, no. This is such
14: a weird. This thing has been so weird to me because during look during I I was trained and my early career I was in the AIDS epidemic, and that was a serious illness. That was a 100% fatality. When I would I, I as a fourth year medical student all day long. People would come in with their first episode of pneumocystis pneumonia, and I would sit them down and say, you have six months to live, and I was never wrong. Eventually, we got treatments, and during that time, we were very concerned with how to change behavior. We couldn't get people to trust what was going on. They Remember all the craziness back then? It was, HIV was created by the system. Gallows- yeah. AZT was causing AIDS. It was crazy. And so we had to create some sort of health messaging that shaped behavior. And there was an entire discipline that developed that, that figured it out. Here's how you do it. And by the way, this is how I've conducted my entire career is using this model. You create narratives about relatable sources. Somebody who's like you, I think the teen mom program I've been involved with. These are young people who get pregnant. Look what happens. So it's a narrative with consequences, a relatable source, a narrative with consequences. If you throw in some cultural elements, some humor, some music, you got it. They will learn from that. Us, in a box, telling people, educating them about AZT and HIV transmission, we did a beautiful job of educating them intellectually, didn't change behavior at all. It wasn't until we started using narratives and consequences and showing what happened that people got it. We abandoned that entirely during this pandemic, and it's just, I can't understand it. I I wonder if it's a fear of social media or something. That somehow they feel they have a new monster, a new, a new uh, sort of a monkey on their back, so to speak, that makes the old ways of uh, shaping behavior less efficacious. I, I'm here to challenge that. It's not so. I, I've been do- doing that my entire career, and it works very well in social media as well as elsewhere.
3: You know, it's interesting, Dr. True, it's it's a bigger conversation because with news, remember, the 2016 election, the Russians got involved and they started messing with Facebook and Trump wins. And then in 2020, all these rumors about election rigging happened on social media. What are we to believe? I don't know what's true. Where do we get our news? We're going to have the social media companies decide what's true. And then right. people are looking at social media to find out what's real with this pandemic. Is it manufactured? Is the government trying to control right. us? Uh, are we? Go- are they trying to kill us with this vaccine? And I just saw this story on the internet. It underlined everything we were going through, and it just it, it just grew it exponentially. But bottom line is, I, I don't think that uh, we're finding out that lockdowns work. We know that
14: yeah, lockdowns are, are, are clearly those are you know we're. we're- <laughs> We're two-thirds of way into this uh, particular surge with no lockdowns, with no difference in the behavior of the virus. So come on, everybody. Right. Uh, lo- lockdowns clearly are sort of questionable, and they have massive deleterious consequences. But um, to, to your point, shoot, I lost my train of thought. You were saying something about— uh, Just the social media, no one trusting, in this just oh, underlined. Oh, yeah. It. So, so I, I speak to you presently from YouTube jail, uh, where I've been placed on a couple of occasions
3: for having
14: conversations with highly decorated peers— well, we just are discussing uh, therapeutic options and what the You're literature kidding. looks like. Oh, twice, twice into YouTube jail. Uh, and by the way, I t- told that if it happens again, they, uh, they will take me off permanently. And, right. I, and by the way, I wasn't advocating for any of the things anyone was talking about. I was just discussing with people that were academics, that were publishers of right. academic journals, uh no, uh-uh, no. uh uh no so that's the part that has gotten super crazy
4: absolutely uh, and
14: that, and, it, and it, again just the fact that physicians can't speak amongst themselves in a in a any sort of media context is just astonishing. Doctor
3: Drew, Man. you're a pro and, radio guy. I'm up against a break, but just if I can give right, you like, some medical advice, stay away from Corolla. He's a bad influence. Uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky, you're thanks just, so much. Just
14: seeing that? You're
3: just uh, thinking that? Uh, i done that for a year. Uh, Pre order his book. It doesn't have to be awkward dealing with relationships, consent, and other hard to talk about stuff. He's the best. Thanks, Dr. Drew.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalists, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcasts. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phones. Wayne's in Florida. Hey, Wayne.
2: Hey, Brian. How are
3: you? Good. Let's try to get as many calls as possible. What's on your mind?
7: Um, I just wanted to point out something that uh, I think the reason Joe Biden didn't strike down that agreement Trump had with the Taliban, he wanted to have something to fall back on in case this operation went south so he could, you know, point the at the former president,
3: and he's doing and also, just that.
7: You know. Also, I'd like to know why no one has brought up the point. Why is our southern border open and we're not, we're under a terrorist attack
3: and the pandemic? Uh, Larry, listening online in Los Angeles. Larry,
12: yeah,
7: um, Barry,
3: my my, I point.
12: Just, uh, yeah, no problem. I want to point out. Uh, thank you for bringing up how inappropriate it was for uh, Joe to bring up Bo's death yesterday. But I think. Conservatives need to jump on how disgusting of an act that was for him to basically be trying to deflect his incompetence by bringing up his son's death. I mean, it's atrocious. Joe is a despicable person, and that proves, I mean, it's unbelievable.
3: He keeps on going back to it. I'm sorry for the tragedy in his life, but everybody listening to me right now can point to some very significant, horrible things that took place. It doesn't mean that your decisions weren't terrible and those 13 people didn't die unnecessarily while 18 struggle in the hospital for their lives. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. So much appreciate that you're tuning in on this very important time in American history. Go to briankilmeade.com. Tell me what you think.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum, the host of The Story on Fox News Channel, sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening,
3: everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to have a big hour coming your way. Ray, uh, Ray McPadden will be with us. Now, Ray's got a brand new book out. It's called We March at Midnight, a war memoir. He was awarded a Purple Heart, two bronze stars, and a medal for valor. Uh, an extraordinary guy who certainly has opinions about what's happening in Afghanistan and the disaster which we're all witnessing. So, uh, we'll take a look at that, get his perspective. There, right now, there's a Pentagon briefing going on. There's uh, some dispute. Uh, I'm trying to Read the closed caption while hosting the show. But there's some dispute about a second explosion. There might not have been one. Bottom line is, a lot of people are dead. 95 Afghans, 13 Americans, and 18 have been wounded. Big three
2: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three
1: number three the conservative majority did what was predicted struck it down said yes there's a financial loss to the landlords the cdc does not have federal legal authorization to do this congress must do it
3: uh yes another win for the trump team eviction moratorium revoked two days ago remain in mexico reinstated you got to feel as though the judges that Trump put in place are beginning to work for America. How about start rebuilding the walls? Love that.
0: Number two. He didn't listen when they had to go back in to evacuate our embassy after the collapse of Kabul. And now he's tying the hands of our special forces who are chomping at the bit to go out into the city and outside of the city to get our Americans that are stranded, their hands are being tied.
3: It's so frustrating for Michael Waltz, Green Beret, now Congress, leaving behind. That's what we're doing. How can America let 1,000 Americans plus behind? Leave them in that terrible terrorist country. This is impeachable. It's up to Dems to stop their thick-headed, callous president.
5: Number one. Do you bear any responsibility for the way that things have unfolded in the last two weeks?
4: I bear responsibility for fundamentally all that's happened. You know as well as I do, the former president made a deal with the Taliban that he would get all American forces out of
3: Afghanistan by May 1. He blew up every past deal of Donald Trump's, but this one he loves. And by the way, he's inaccurately characterizing deadly day and danger from over 13 dead servicemen in Kabul, all preventable deaths, as Biden bungles and blames Trump administration for the deal that they did. The problem with blaming Trump is... The pact that they agreed to is not the pact that the Biden people were playing out. They're running a totally different play. By the way, if you ever want to get the podcast, go to com. If you ever can't make it, we ride the breaking news as well as get um, great analysis uh, about what's happening. Not not only for me, uh, from some of the best in the business that fight these wars for us. So. President Biden waited about eight hours to come out. In fact, Boris Johnson came out and talked about the bombings that didn't even affect the British. But before, and most world leaders did before our leader came out. Why? I don't know. But President Biden was quick to deflect who uh, the blame while using just when words only, words only, uh taking the blame, but quickly deflecting it, cut for.
4: The reason why there were no attacks on Americans, as you said, from the date until I came into office was because the commitment was made by President Trump, I will be out by May 1st. In the meantime, you agree not to attack any Americans. That was the deal. That's why no American was attacked.
3: That is true. But also there was very few attacks and thankfully very few fatalities since 2014 when we went to a defensive backup posture. What we did is we watched the we watched Kabul fall, and the president did nothing. The second he pulled out of Bagram Air Base, emptied the prisons, the Afghan army gave up. They said, "We have no air cover. Their families are being threatened. We're out of here. We're not. They haven't fought without Americans in 20 years. Why wouldn't they? They should have had a worst case scenario, and President Trump would have stopped it. He weighed in last night on this very evident uh, on this very story about what his deal was as opposed to the deal that Biden cut, cut 25.
9: And if you look back at a timeline, we held them totally steady. But I wanted to get out, but we had to get out with dignity. We had to take our $80 billion worth of equipment. We had to do all of the things that you know we had to do. And then I would have blown up all the air bases, but I would have kept Bagram, because Bagram's located right next to China, right near China, And Iran, and it's in Afghanistan. So we had the whole group covered. They spent ten billion dollars building it, and we handed out the keys. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen.
3: It is, and the Taliban running our security is a joke. Uh, The fact is, we can't just depend on a terrorist group that we've been fighting for twenty years, as evil as it comes on the planet, to want to become a part of Western community, to want to become a part of the World Bank. They don't care about quality of life. They're living for the next life. That's what people don't understand. Ambassador Crocker, who is just so aggravated about this, he was worked through a, the Iraqi surge. He was an unsung hero there. The Afghanistan surge did a fantastic job standing up that embassy that we just abandoned that I still haven't gotten a good explanation for because General Austin said he kept troops away from Bagram because he wanted to protect the embassy. Then he leave, has everyone leave the embassy and go to a wide-open Kabul airport. Leon Panetta, Democrat, says our work is not done. We will have to go back in and get ISIS. No kidding. We all went to school on terror. There's some people that don't get it. Most people understand it over the last 20 years. We don't talk about it every day, but we understand it. That's why if you say, want the war in Afghanistan to end? Yeah, of course we do. Well, do you want it to end if it means we're more susceptible to a terror attack and if it could scale back in a way that's plausible and affordable? Would that be something we should do? I want you to meet the CIA director. Here's what he tells us vaguely without giving up uh, ways and practice, methods and practices of what's happening. We had four bases there. By keeping half those military bases, we would have had eyes and ears right near Iran, eyes and ears right near Pakistan, where we got bin Laden, eyes and ears inside Afghanistan to watch these terror groups convene, to be able to drop a Moab because we saw al-Qaeda coming back into Afghanistan. This over-the-horizon defense does not make any sense. For those in the military, they say that's fine in Africa when it's flat. It's not good in the Middle East, especially in the mountains where these terrorists live and thrive, where bin Laden was there. We used to remember this. You don't have over-the-arising capacity unless you have troops on the ground, unless you have intelligence officers on the ground. And I'm not talking about more than 2,500. Whatever it needed. General Milley evidently said, I need 4,000. He didn't get it. But now we understand, according to the president, all his military advisors agree. All of them. Sean Parnell. Wrote Outlaw Platoon. He's now running for Senate in Pennsylvania. Almost was the next congressman from Pennsylvania. Here's what he said about what he's witnessing in terms of leadership. Cut 30
14: when leaders of this country project weakness, it emboldens our enemies. I mean, Joe Biden is responsible for the largest foreign policy disaster in this country's history. And oh, by the way, a young senator from Delaware was railing against the Vietnam War during the fall of Saigon. He was vice president during Benghazi. And he's president of the United States during the fall of Kabul. Joe Biden, he, this is on him. This, this blood of our American service members and our allies is on him. One strategic blunder after the next, whether it's pulling our military out of Afghanistan prior to evacuating civilians or giving up Bagram Air Force Base, which I promise you will be studied at U.S. military academies as one <laughs> yeah. of the greatest strategic blunders of all time how not to conduct a withdrawal, and stranding thousands, and I mean thousands of Americans behind enemy lines.
3: And he goes on. And he can understand his passion. The guy's holding an outpost, losing countless guys. His interpreter flipped on him too in Afghanistan. It's a note. After showing some loyalty, in the end, he tried to open up, firing on his guys, and just to see it given up like that. And the people he's fighting end up providing security so the U.S. can get out of here. We know the Australians. We're watching these bloody Australians get beat up by the Taliban, and then we hand them lists of people that we say helped us, and need to get out. Do you believe this? We handed a list to the Taliban of Afghans that helped us during the war and Americans, their location, making their way to the airport. How dumb is that? And the false choice is probably the thing that bothers me most. This is what the president's saying. He's saying that I could either pull out on the... Trump deal, the way the Trump deal read according to him, or I'd have to flood in, rip up the deal, flood in thousands of troops, and I don't think we wanted to do that. That is not true. You could have put off the deal to say that was my predecessor's deal. We're going to keep a smaller footprint while we evaluate your actions on the ground. And if the attacks picked up over the horizon, we would have blown them out of the water. We don't even need pilots like we were used to. We knew that area so well we were blowing you up. We were blowing you up with drones, with Hellfire missiles. And they could have waited for the fighting season to get done and went back in and cut a deal and let them know what will happen the way you wanted it, the way you told Josh Rogan. Read Josh Rogan today. He recounts a 2019 interview he did with candidate Joe Biden and how different what he said he would do is what he's doing. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Brad Winstrom will be joining us to cover Republican congressman who also served in the military. Uh, he is weighing in and uh, he is livid. Don't move.
2: Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts
8: Network.
1: My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will I humbly say single-handedly save the world. You're
8: welcome. It's Kennedy saves the world. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
15: We're still uh, planning on ending this mission at the end of the month. And as I said the other day, uh, as we get closer and we are getting closer, you're going to see us begin to make those muscle movements to pull out uh, our troops uh, and some of our equipment. Uh, as appropriate with any retrograde, what we want to do is preserve as much capability for as long as we can, both in terms of the security footprint, but also uh, in terms of the ability as to moving out evacuees.
3: He's a doctor. He is a uh, Army Reserve officer is a congressman from Ohio. Uh, I wanted that as a cut from obviously John Kirby from the Pentagon briefing that's taking place right now about this horrific Exit strategy from Afghanistan that resulted in the deaths of 13 uh, service members as well. Could be more as 18 struggle with their injuries after the explosion yesterday. Joining us now, U.S. Representative Brad Wenstrup. Congressman, welcome back. Your thoughts about what you're hearing today. It looks like the airport virtually shut down. We got a thousand Americans at least in Afghanistan. Are we just going to leave them?
10: It sounds like it, and uh, I sent you a um, a voicemail that uh, I think you may have heard, and it's from one of the Afghan allies who worked with us, and it came to me through one of my constituents who worked with him directly, where he's begging for help. You know, and in 1975, Senator Biden said, and this is concerning Vietnam, he said, we have, the United States has no obligation, moral or otherwise, to evacuate any foreign nationals. This is, this, is, this is his mindset. And you just played the clip from Mr. Kirby. And it's backwards still, you know, we're gonna maintain as much security as we can and then get out. That's what should have been done at the beginning. And I don't wanna just look back, it's what we're we gonna do now. So I guess that's the right thing to do right now. If that's the orders from the commander in chief, but we are leaving Americans. We are leaving our allies behind. And I found his speech very interesting yesterday. We won't forgive, we won't forget, we'll hunt you down. But we're leaving. George Bush said, if you're a terrorist, we're coming after you. If you house a terrorist, we're coming after you. But this president, as you heard him say a couple of weeks ago, thinks Al Qaeda was gone. Does he know now they're not gone? Does he know that ISIS will fill the void just like they did in Iraq when we let him? And at the same time, you leave all these people vulnerable, our US our U.S. citizens and our, our special immigrant visa applicants who were made a promise. I got a text from one of the interpreters that I served with in Iraq, who is now a physician in the United States and a US citizen, fully contributing. He's a cardiologist. And he sent me a text last week where he said, "This is very, very disheartening. American morality is being tested, and it's not doing so well so far." So yeah. you, the president was right to praise the troops. They'll do whatever they can do with whatever they have.
3: But listen but to I how don't we don't interpret. It. Listen to how he interprets what from that bombing yesterday, as if our mission is noble to quit and surrender. Cut seven.
4: As General McKenzie said, this is why our mission was designed, this is the way it was designed to operate. Operating under severe stress and attack. We've known that from the beginning. And as I've been in constant contact with our senior military leaders, and I mean constant, round the clock, and our commanders on the ground and throughout the day, they made it clear that we can and we must complete this mission, and we will. And that's what I've ordered them to do. We will not
3: be deterred by terrorists. But he acts like we're going in to fight. We're going in to quit, complete the mission, have the Taliban provide security, and leave in humiliation. Congratulations. I'd love to see that battle plan.
10: Yeah, and and, and the mission is being carried out as he has drawn it up, as he has defined it. I really do not believe that this whole process came from the military. He may be in contact with them but I think he's in contact with them and telling them no. And he, he gave the heart-wrenching speech about send me, send me, listen, I, I know, I served, I spent a year in Iraq and I know what our military is like and I know the people that volunteer to be in the military. Yes, we are the send me people, the same people that ran into those buildings on 2001 that were falling down, those are the send me people. But you say that and then you send them home and that's what's so frustrating. I think you may have seen some of the press conference we had. We had all of our yep, athletes. Yeah, I did. Sorry. In particular. And you can see what's in the heart. You can see the passion. We do not want to leave. That is the mission that he created that is not the mission that's in the heart and minds of American military that would not leave anyone behind. And no soldier left behind is not just soldiers. It's all of our military, for one. But it's also our U.S. citizens and our allies. And you got Democrats. That's how it works.
3: Brad, you have Democrats? Uh, we're talking to Congressman Brad Winstrup. He's still in the Army mm-hmm. Reserves officer. But uh, you have Democrats who agree with you, right?
10: Totally. I mean, if you go back to April, Brian, I started working with— a democrat on honoring our promises task force group and we were pushing in april saying this is a dangerous situation it's not going to get better we owe it to these people these are our friends we're still in touch with them i supported two of my interpreters and and where i signed for them we know them we know their hearts but we i want, want americans want too to
3: brad them. you can't forget about the americans we had a thousand well, americans there
10: i know well when we started this in april brian we never dreamed it would be americans too we were worried about just because the bureaucracy that was so tremendous uh, for the SIVs, we even passed laws that made it easier and to expedite it. And we were on calls with the administration. We weren't dreaming that it would be U.S. citizens we had to worry about as well.
3: And they have no record That's- of this. And he, they just say, real quick, Brad, under a minute, but they say, well, this is the Trump plan that was left for me. That is not true. But, you That's know, Trump, true. is this the Trump plan?
10: No, this is not the Trump plan. Uh, you can read it, anybody can read it, and you know that wasn't it. There were conditions, and if the Taliban wasn't meeting the conditions, then we crushed them. We, President Biden set the timeline of August 31st, and this became the Taliban's red line. That was not in the Trump plan. No such thing. I never would have dreamed that we would have our enemy deciding who, and having them deciding who gets through our perimeter.
4: Got a
3: few, yeah, a few days to change sense. his mind. Hopefully he understands he has to. Uh, May, uh, Ray McPadden will be next, four-time combat vet. It was great talking to you. Congressman Winstrup, thanks so much. Thanks for your service. Keep fighting.
10: Thank you. You too, Brian.
3: Thanks. All right. When we come back, more of the Brian Kill Me channel.
8: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the High Court. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
13: But I can confirm uh, for you that we do not believe that there was a second explosion at or near uh, the Baron Hotel, uh, that it was one suicide uh, bomber. We're not sure how that re- report uh, was provided incorrectly, but we do know it's not any surprise uh, that in the confusion of very dynamic events like this can cause information sometimes to be misreported or
4: garbled
3: uh there you go there was no second bombing we're still getting the facts on the ground as you go to, as you know uh there was an explosion yesterday we thought there were two there was just one uh but there was also shooting involved bottom line is uh, 13 of our uh men are dead uh 18 are wounded and 95 afghans died uh and if you see the video it looks even like more it looks even more horrendous ray McPadden knows the reality of war. He's a four tour he's a four tour combat veteran who served as a ground force commander in the elite second ranger battalion during the Iraq and Afghan wars. Author of the new book, We March at Midnight, a war memoir. He's also had a Purple Heart, uh two bronze stars and a of valor. Very impressive. Ray, this must really be agonizing for you.
12: Yeah, it's been it's been uh you know difficult to watch. It's been jarring. It's been uh shocking like a kind of a, a slow moving uh nightmare here these these last couple of weeks.
3: And I mean some of these military decisions, the president said the military was on board with this. Get out of Bagram. Uh let's make sure the military are out before civilians and we're going to be holed up. It's going to be in a crowded city, in the middle of a city, at an airport that we can't defend without the Taliban providing security. Who thought of this?
12: Yeah, it, it seems uh ill conceived. There there are bad people in this world. They're motivated. They're organized and they want to win. Uh so I, I, I don't it does not appear to me that, you know, at the upper echelons that uh, threats in Afghanistan, the security situation, uh, the evacuations—that any of that has been taken seriously. Uh, it, obviously, the the men and women there on the ground, I think, are serving um, with distinction. Uh, they, they they're giving their lives, and and for those there on the ground, certainly uh, incredible support and uh, you know heartfelt uh, appreciation for what they're doing there in this last phase.
3: Was it time in your mind, Ray, to get out?
12: I, I think it was, um, you know, I went over there, Brian, to fight. I went to go kill bad guys in the wake of of nine eleven. Uh, I think for from a military and a tactical perspective, we wiped out much of Al Qaeda. We killed an entire generation of the Taliban. Uh, the tricky part has always been to to get the Afghans to buy into the idea of uh, of a democracy, and that was that was a complicated and complex undertaking. Uh, I'm, I certainly don't uh want to see um, you know my friends and family co- you know continue to to deploy to Afghanistan where the goals are unclear.
3: What was your experience like on the ground
12: it was it was hard it was hard. We were deep in the mountains uh afghanistan was always to me it was always a lonely war there wasn't a lot of resources committed. Uh, we had very few troops on the ground and uh, the Taliban were, you know, a ferocious enemy. And, and the Al Qaeda the presence there uh, was some of their best, you know, their best people. Uh, so we were fighting, I think, a very hard and determined enemy with limited assets and, uh, you know, kind of felt like it was, again, a, a lonely war, something that there, there wasn't a lot of attention on.
3: So, I just want you to hear what General McKenzie said yesterday. He's the Joint Staff Deputy Director uh, for the Operation Cut 19.
7: The threat from ISIS is extremely real. We've been talking about this for several days. We believe it is their desire to continue those attacks, and we expect those attacks to continue. And we're doing everything we can to be prepared for those attacks. That includes reaching out to the Taliban, who are actually providing the outer security cord and around the airfield, to make sure they know what we expect them to do to protect us. And we will continue to coordinate with them as as they go forward.
3: Now, if I told you that you can work in the airport, don't worry, the Taliban are working security. How would you feel about that? It's
12: yeah, it's absurd. Uh, It's absurd. Uh, The the Taliban are not an ally. Uh, They are not a cooperating partner. Uh, To me, they are the enemy. They will always be uh, the enemy. And um, I I think we, the, the United States, should do whatever we need to do to Facilitate this evacuation and get American citizens and some of our close allies out of there effectively. And if that means uh, expanding these parameters, committing additional troops, I think all, all that is is wise and prudent. And yeah, the, the idea of you know the Taliban are our partners in this is just ludicrous.
3: Hey, Ray, uh, Ray McPadden, our guest, four-time, four-tour combat veteran, he's got a book out. We March at Midnight, a war memorial, uh, memoir. Ray, you know, have you been to Bagram Air Base? I have, yes. Do you think that's something that would have been defensible that we could have been flying out civilians from there?
12: Yeah, certainly. The that was always the nerve center of our operations uh in in Afghanistan. I was I was puzzled to see that that we had sort of turned that over or abandoned it uh kind of midsummer uh but but certainly the capacity of Bagram is, is much, uh, much larger. There's, I think, two major runways there. Uh, the perimeter and the defenses that were there, um, it's just a much, much better situation. So in terms of capacity to, to get people out, uh, much higher. And then for defensibility, for our troops, for those Marines and, and the soldiers that are on the ground, um, they, they, that's, that's the place, to me, they should be.
3: It would have been great not to give that up and to see the Afghanis fight and provide air cover for him to continue to do so. Uh, Ray, do I worry about as you guys, you've given so much, invisible wounds, invisible wounds, and the people you fought with, they're going to, I just fear they're going to get the feeling this wasn't worth it when we know all you did accomplish and that if things don't go well, it is really politicians that did it. Do you worry about the same thing?
12: Yeah, I do. I think that, you know, our allies and, and other people in the world who who look to the United States as, as a leader are, you know, this certainly is, is not something that's, that sends a good message to them. You know, in terms of the soldiers, the, the, the veterans, the Marines that were there, uh, this has been a difficult period. I, you know, I, I struggled, especially last week, with what was going on. But, you know, at the same time, Brian, I, I reached out and, and I started calling old battle buddies and, and just checking on them and, and seeing how they were doing. And you really use this as an opportunity to reconnect with people and uh, and uh, to, you know, reestablish some relationships that, you know, time and distance had gotten away. And I would encourage other veterans to reach out and call call your old battle buddies, see, see how they're doing. And uh, it's, yeah, I think they'll appreciate hearing from you.
3: Yeah, I want you to hear what Mark Geist said. He's a former annex security team in Benghazi, of all places. He knows about leadership and what's missing. Cut 31.
2: This needs to be we, the people, demanding that whether if this decision was made by our the military leadership, then those who are advising the president need to be held accountable, as well as the president, because you can delegate your authority, but you can't delegate your responsibility. You choose to be the king. You wear the crown and all the responsibility that comes with it. No matter how much he likes to deflect from that, he is responsible for everything that this country does, especially in foreign policy.
3: And there's no doubt about it. He was deflecting, said no military commanders dissented. They were all on board with keeping the deadline. And it was really Trump's plan. He had no choice. Is that what they teach you, uh, Ray, about leadership?
12: I, you know, I'm taught to lead from the front and to set uh, set an example. Right? You behave, you you demonstrate the behavior you want from your from your rangers, from your soldiers, um, and and to you know hold yourself accountable. The buck stops with you as the commander. And so, you know, I think about myself leading no fail missions with the rangers. And um, you know, if 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 I was the the ground force commander for something like this, you know, clearly I would have been removed uh, a a very, uh, you know, very quickly. Uh, So this is a, this is a little, a bit strange and and frustrating to
3: watch. You know, the you know, the militant mindset. Do you think these terrorists are emboldened now? And do you think our homeland is ready for uh, this new aggressive front foot? They now are on thanks to our decision.
12: I do. I do think it, it, it's encouraging to to the terrorists, uh, you know, the various terrorist uh, groups out there. I, I think that, uh, yeah, it, it absolutely emboldens them. And we need to take the threats around the world uh, seriously and focus on the mission, focus on terrorism. And uh, I think we've been distracted as of late. I think you, what you're seeing play out on the grand Af- ground in Afghanistan. Is an indicator of that, that the, we haven't been terribly focused on the mission and the security of the American people.
3: I hear you. And, Ray, what was it like going through your war times, your war years, in the book you have out now, We March at Midnight? Was it therapeutic to a degree?
12: Well, you know, thinking about it later was was therapeutic to a great extent. And I wrote it, you know, 10 years after my last combat tour and that time and that, that distance. I think gave me some wisdom about what happened over there. Um, I I was wildly in love uh, while I was deployed and remained married to the same woman. And so a lot of the, you know, it, it, the, there's the war itself and then there's the, the family and the people connected to you and, and sort of what combat does, does to them. And so the book is a chance to sort of evaluate this very intense experience from, from multiple angles in a way that I think other people can, can relate to and, uh, and learn from, I do not present myself as a hero. I think I, I share the, the bad things, the mistakes, and, um, I think there's more to be learned from, from, uh, you know, the mistakes you made than, uh, you know, from, from the good days where, where you're winning.
3: I hear you, uh, Ray. That's good for life, too, as well as war. Ray McPadden, go pick up his book, We March at Midnight, A War Memoir. Ray, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. You got it. Uh, Listen, when we come back, we'll finish up this hour. I'll take some more calls. But uh, Canada has pulled out of Afghanistan, and they freely say they've left Canadians behind. Uh, They had 3,700 in – they got 3,700 out but they still have many left behind. Justin Trudeau said our engagement with Afghanistan is not done and called the situation heartbreaking. Why is it heartbreaking? Because we are pulling out, along with the security, forcing Canada to do what we are choosing to do, and that's leave our citizens behind. Incredible.
2: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
15: There will be a balance over the next few days as we continue to process through that transition, as we continue to, as what we call retrograde. Um, And and I can't give you a specific number on any given day, uh, but I think uh, you'll see us uh, adjust as necessary to make sure that we're achieving that proper balance. But we will be able to fly out evacuees Right up until the last moment, that's going to be the goal.
3: And that is another Pentagon briefing uh, that just alludes around the major stories. And John Kirby is not in an enviable position, trying to rationalize uh, some of the worst military policy that we will ever see in American history. We have to do a better job screening our presidents. Uh, and just look at his track record. We should have known how inept he was. Couple of things. Uh, this is from Lucas Tomlinson. He came out and just said, the Pentagon just confirmed, that the Taliban are the ones who let out. Here it is. Moments ago, Kirby tells Jennifer Griffin thousands of ISIS-K prisoners were freed by the Taliban when they took over Afghanistan. Hold the phone. I thought that the Taliban were in a pitched battle with ISIS-K and that the Taliban told ISIS-K not to do this, but somehow they breached the perimeter. Why would you let people out of prison that were your enemies? Maybe they're not. Let's find out if there's more to know.
2: More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D.
3: Kanye West is not requiring folks to be vaccinated or test negative for COVID-19 to enjoy his donda event in chicago but the good news is fans can get inoculated on site we're told that doses are split between the pfizer and johnson and johnson vaccine that's a good idea right
13: yeah why not i mean you go and if you want it you get to get uh, get to hear whatever
3: donda is supposed to mean from kanye i think he's changing his name next just one day after signing with the seattle seahawks tight end luke wilson announced he's walking away from football for good revealing He was hospitalized with a severe heart condition earlier this year. Man, 31 years old, fifth-round draft pick in 2013. That's not good. Next. Cancel culture comes for Notre Dame's leprechaun mascot. It's about time. The Indy Star could not wait to fire off a message to Notre Dame to get comment over a recent study that found that the Fighting Irish mascot has the fourth most offensive college mascot ever. Of the survey conducted by Quality Logo Products, they surveyed 1,200 people. Uh, it's worth noting there is no comparison between Notre Dame's nickname the ma- and the mascot and the Indian and warrior names mascots used by other institutions. Uh, but since when is using a leprechaun with fists up in the air a problem? A leprechaun is not a real person. That's what I don't understand. Well, that, that really bothers them when yeah. you refer to them like that. Uh, they're magical. And I love, uh, why, well, if they're not real, why are they on the cover of Loki a-
13: Andy McCarthy had a funny tweet. He's like, who's offended by this?
3: next. Hey, you surprised where I can find... uh, Hey, you guys know where I can find The Rock? The Rock surprises Hollywood tour bus in his neighborhood. Listen to this.
6: Alright, this is kind of funny. There's a tour bus here that always tours through my neighborhood.
7: Hey, you guys know where I can find The Rock?
4: (laughs) How you
1: guys doing?
4: Uh, I'll wait. I'll wait. Don't worry. (laughs) how you guys doing?
2: Everybody good? All right. Hey, you're very welcome. All right, brother. Oh, cool. You guys have a good trip. All right. Thank you. Love you too.
3: (laughs) Hey, so in the clip, he has already amassed over 18 million views. The actor states in the video that the tour bus regularly drives through his neighborhood, and he's hoping to have some fun. Can you imagine that? He's the biggest star in America right
13: now. I mean, now. there's a reason why he's so likable. I mean, he's he's the of all the guys that have been in wrestling and made the transition to, to motion pictures. He's the if nobody comes close to the Rock.
3: Right, that's true, and he takes it serious. Uh, next. Back to school. Four in five parents are eager for their kids to get back to school. They did a big survey. Eighty-four percent of parents said they were equally as excited to have their kids learn from home so they could spend more time with them. Sixty-eight percent of parents admit remote learning became increasingly difficult for them as time went on. Three out of four originally excited about learning from home but then changed their mind. Most kids, 72 percent, treated homeschooling like a lot uh, homeschooling like a summer vacation.
0: I mean,
13: I can only imagine now, if you were a parent and your children, all three were at home, you would have three different children, three different grades, three different oh, times, and they would all be remote. How do you How do, you well, do
3: I that Well, know know. Well, my daughter a was a senior. Her fa- her friends were going out for Dunkin' Donuts. They would put out, turn off their camera. They'd be saying, well, listen, I've already do this. I studied it last night. Then the parents would go, what are you doing? Well, I needed a coffee. Nobody was around. So you have a class now? I know. I just need to know the end. So it was not good. And also there's no follow-up. Parents gotta get old. Now they gotta call the parents to say the kid turned off his camera or didn't have it on. And it was a huge, it was a huge issue. Hopefully people will make up for it and have special courses. But the mask wearing in New York is so discouraging. This new governor gotta put the mask on.
13: I don't get it. I mean, even Cuomo got rid of that, and now her first
3: order of business was
13: the mask mandate. Yeah.
3: I mean, he would eventually came around to it, too, because he's a Democrat. Hey, uh, thanks so much for listening. Go to BrianKilmead.com. Order any of my books. I sign them and send them myself dot com to order the podcast. Uh, keep it here for all the breaking news. We're always here for you.